Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums... Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, your look at everything going on in the worlds of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and general animal weirdness. As I'm sure you know by now, this is a crowd-sourced zoo news podcast, so if you see any stories that you think are zoo news worthy, go ahead and tag me in them on Instagram, Twitter, or uh, Facebook, at Rossafari, on TikTok, at Pod, uh, or email them to me, rossafaripod at gmail.com, and I will say your name at the end of the episode. Yay for that. Uh, yeah, so quick update on me. Uh, as this episode drops, I will be just about to make my way down to Fort Myers, Florida, where I'm doing a limited run of Million Dollar Quartet at the Barberman Performing Arts Center, which is a touring house down in Fort Myers. Uh, that's cool, and if you're a Florida person, you should probably come check out the show. But also, the exciting part for those of you that are listening is that I have been planning my trip down and my time there and my trip back, and uh, we're going to be doing some stops, we're going to be getting some content, and we are going to be doing some very cool interviews. Now, I don't like to announce upcoming interviews until they happen because way too frequently something happens and then they don't happen. But let's just say that over the next couple of weeks, I've got some very, very cool plans in store and I'm excited to have them hopefully work out and get to share some cool facilities with y'all. We'll have some returns. We'll have some newbies. It's going to be amazing all around. Before we get to the news, however, I want to address something that came up last week. So I mentioned that I have my new logo and that it's my tattoo and you all have seen it and bloody bloody blue, you know the story by now. And I mentioned that one of the reasons that I was switching to this new logo is because I had read a study in grad school recently that basically stated that whenever people saw videos or photographs of people interacting with uh, wildlife and especially endangered animals on social media, uh, it tended to lead to more negative comments and um, higher but more negative engagement. And so I said that, you know, because of that, I wouldn't want people to look at my previous logo and immediately have a negative opinion of Ross Safari, but that I would be continuing to post photos and videos like that occasionally on Ross Safari, which I then did this week. And I heard from a few of you about it. And I, I, I want to say to everyone listening right now, literally everyone who reached out about this was super interested in learning the philosophy behind my decision. Uh, no one was rude. Nobody. It was it was awesome. I love this community that we have so much. And I love that people saw that and were willing to you know, message me and try to learn more and do so nicely. And um, it was very cool, actually. But I wanted to take the time to explain to the rest of you, uh, you know, who maybe didn't 
reach out but thought about it or who really haven't thought about it yet, uh, why I found this path to be the right one for me. And uh, I think it shines an interesting light on conservation that, um, that, that shows just how hard this can be. So the study in question is by Frund et al. from 2021, and it's called Building Better Conservation Media for Primates and People, a case study of orangutan rescue and rehabilitation YouTube videos. And it can be found in the Smithsonian Libraries and Archives. Okay, so now that we got our citation out of the way, um, basically the premise uh, – there, there's a lot more to the article than just this. But the premise that, that I was looking at was saying that YouTube videos that showed baby orangutans or that showed human orangutan interaction did get more plays and more views than ones that showed just normal adult orangutans without humans. However, that there were also more negative comments and uh, some of the negative comments were particularly harsh in those particular videos. So the authors of the study extrapolated that to other social media and to other animals and say that it is their official advice that you should not ever have pictures or videos like that um, because they they increase the the negative views that people have of of those things. And on the surface, that makes a lot of sense to me, and that was a part of why I made this decision to change my logo. However, uh, in studying the study deeper, um, I, I noticed a couple of things, one of which was that it was talking specifically about YouTube and then just applying it to other media areas. And um, YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, all of those have different algorithms. Uh, but in no way did I see anything accounting for the various algorithms used by each of the, the social media companies. And that really matters because while none of the companies make public their algorithms, there are experts who study these things and, and try to figure them out and uh, kind of share their inside information. And one of the big beliefs that those experts have is that uh, when there are human faces – the content is more likely to be shared both with the accounts that follow you and especially with the accounts that don't follow you. And I actually went back as I was studying this because I'm talking about this actively in my class and I looked at my own stuff and it's very true. The, the pictures and videos that have me in them tend to get a lot more engagement and I can even break down the engagement and see – you know, what percentage of my followers get to see the content and what percentage of people that see it aren't following me. Um, and it's it's really drastic, y'all. So that's part one. And then going along with that, part two is just that people who aren't following you are more likely to be trolls, are more likely to not understand your vision for what you're doing or how you're trying to share content. Uh, I encountered that in a major way with my Emily the Elephant videos. Um, I'm sure some of you saw some of those comments, but it got absolutely crazy on all sides. It was uh, that thing went way too viral for my brain to comprehend. But um, there were a lot of people who really you could just tell didn't understand what they were seeing or where it was taking place. A weirdly large number of people complained that it was at an unaccredited zoo. And uh, early on when I was responding to comments, I just told them, no, this is a, an AZA accredited zoo. And then they were fine. Like, it's weird. People just feel the need to type stuff when things are 
popular and going viral. So to me, that means that, of course, the the videos that are going to get seen more, baby animals get seen more than adult animals, and videos and photos with human faces get seen more than the ones that don't have those. And this study, uh, from everything that, that's posted in it, does not account for this. Of course, that could lead some of you to then say, well, then why change it at all, John? I I like the old logo. Um, But first of all, I really like the new logo. Second of all, it connects to me in a different way. I like having my tattoo on there, but it's something that is a little more universal. It's it's not my face. Um, I feel like if we want to get merch going again here at some point, I feel like more of you would rather have this cool new logo than my face on your shirt or on, you know, uh, uh, your water bottle with the sticker or whatever. So yeah, Um, you know, so there's just a lot of other stuff that went into it. But then also, you know, my thought is like the study isn't perfect, but also it maybe has a point. So I would hope that um, if you're on social media, I'm able to interact with you. And if you put a negative comment, I can say, hey, no, this is what's actually going on here. And it's cool. And here's why. And hashtag no panda pets and all that good stuff. Uh, whereas if you're just looking at the podcast, you have to base it off a little blurb and the picture, and I don't want to dissuade people from coming and finding out the amazing work done at zoos. So that is my way too long-winded explanation of this. But, you know, again, it goes back into the thing I was talking about, about how hard conservation science can be, because a study like this comes out, and it's a unique study. And it's it's just based on looking at stuff online. So it's not like it's an experiment that can be repeated per se. Um, so yeah, this is going to impact the industry. There will be people that read this and change their whole philosophy. There will be people that read this and think it's stupid. And uh, these are the struggles that we often have with conservation science. It's frequently a new science that uh, can have a lot of intended and unintended consequences that we kind of figure out along the way. So, uh, yeah, sorry this got so long-winded, but I'm pretty passionate about the whole thing. And new logo, yay. Okay, let's do this thing. The Memphis Zoo has announced the preliminary findings of the necropsy on Lulla, the giant panda who passed away a few weeks ago. It seems that Lulla died from heart disease, heart failure, and uh, this is something that's pretty common in geriatric bears, so it does not look like it was some big scary disaster that the internet has tried to make it out to be, and there's no reason to believe there was neglect or anything. These are only preliminary findings, and once the full report is out, we will see exactly what is said, but uh, this is definitely good news for the Memphis Zoo, though not surprising news. On a side note, I know that I told you that they recently turned off their comments because of all of the negative stuff being posted by uninformed people. They have now turned their commenting back on and are attempting to reason with some of the people saying really, really stupid stuff. And it it is. It's really, really stupid stuff. Um, I... I am really curious to know why they decided to do that. I've, I've not reached out uh, to find out yet. I've got other stuff going on. But, um, I mean, I guess good for them for taking on trolls head on. Uh, yeah, but but it's uh, it's looking like Lala had, had heart failure, and that can happen. 
Now, we've all heard of the movie Cocaine Bear, but this next story could be called Cocaine Cat. It turns out that an animal named Amory uh, was recently found in the Cincinnati, Ohio area. And uh, it turns out that Amory is a serval, which is illegal to own in Ohio. Uh, servals, if you don't know what they are, are really cute, kind of small leopard looking uh, cats, but they are not pets uh, for the record. So this animal was discovered and taken into a place called Cincinnati Animal Care, where they were able to um, identify the cat for sure as a serval and also treat it for some issues. And they did a narcotics test on it and found out that... The test for exposure to cocaine was positive. So that's not great, uh, obviously, but um, the facility was able to take good care of the animal and then transfer it to the Cincinnati Zoo, where they are going to continue to care for the serval, take care of it, and uh, hopefully, you know, Amory will do okay. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, they have not announced whether it will stay at Cincy, go to another zoo or or what. But uh, as of now, Amory is at the Cincinnati Zoo. And really, there aren't many better places in the world for a serval to end up. Uh, I just cannot believe that somebody had a serval in Ohio. Bad, bad human. Bad. On a side note, uh, I went and saw Cocaine Bear. That might surprise some of you, but um, I did, and I really enjoyed it. It is a bit of a horror flick, um, but nothing too crazy. I don't like really gory stuff. It shows some gore, but a lot of it's very comical kind of gore. It It'll make you laugh if you're not completely grossed out by that kind of thing. Um, and while, you know, it is based on, quote, a true story, it is loosely based on a true story. The true story is that a dead bear was found to have ingested cocaine from this drug situation that's shown at the beginning of the movie. Uh, the bear didn't go wild. The bear didn't kill anyone. All of the situations and characters in the film, other than um, a few of the people related to the drug situation, are fictional. And even those are heavily fictionalized portrayals of those people. So I don't really have a problem with this movie because it's it's very obviously fiction, uh, you know, and I'm not worried about copycat type things. I know I just said this cat was exposed to cocaine, but I, I don't think it was a similar situation. So yeah, uh, if, if you were debating cocaine bear, I think there is absolutely no conservation or otherwise messaging in it. There is nothing positive or negative about the portrayal of any of the animals or anything like that. Zoos are not involved at all. It is a campy horror flick that... I personally found to be a lot of fun. So now you know. The Dallas Zoo has announced the birth of a new baby boy elephant. An elephant calf, or as we would call it on this podcast, an elet. And uh, all indications are that both mom and baby are doing very well. The baby is very adventurous and having a lot of fun and uh, not on cocaine. So great news compared to our last story. Um, but yeah, I'm just really excited to hear about another elephant in the population. And actually, while we are talking about the Dallas Zoo, they recently announced that uh, one of their tamanduas, lesser anti 
Anteaters, you've heard about them on the podcast a lot, um, has some issues going on and uh, especially mobility issues. So one of the vets recommended trying acupuncture and it is working really well. The Tamandua is named MJ and MJ is getting acupuncture to help with mobility issues and it is working well and that makes me so happy. I love when vets think of alternative medicine and uh, you know we already heard about an elephant acupuncturist on the podcast recently. It's cool that they're doing that with the Tamandua as well. Now, here is a recurring story, it seems, that is uh, probably one that should stop being so darn recurring. The St. Louis Zoo has yet again had some animals escape from their exhibits. In this case, uh, it was two swamp monkeys who got out of their enclosure and into a zookeeper hallway after the door was not properly locked and shut after a routine cleaning. Now, look, I get that, you know, mistakes happen, but this is the zoo that has recently had a bear escape twice. So this is now the third incident that has had an animal, or in this case, multiple animals, get out of its enclosure at the St. Louis Zoo recently. They got to fix that. That's kind of the whole point of zoos is to not have the animals get out. So uh, hopefully they will work on that. Uh, again, the St. Louis Zoo is a wonderful facility. I've been there multiple times. I really, really love it there. But uh, this is a trend that needs to stop. So it's been a little while since I've mentioned HPAI, which is the highly pathogenic avian influenza, the bird flu that is causing birds to keep going off exhibit all around the country as breakouts happen. But um, it is rearing its ugly head again. Uh, this time, the news is coming from Mesker Park Zoo and Botanic Gardens, and it's not bad news, don't worry, um, but with the amount of HPAI happening in the area, uh, they had to close down the Amazonia area, which is where a lot of birds live, um, it, which is an indoor building, by the way. And um, they have managed to reopen it. They are making all guests wear shoe covers. Uh, strollers, wheelchairs, and power scooters will not be allowed in Amazonia at this time. And um, hopefully the shoe covers and disinfectants used will keep the birds on exhibit safe. Uh, I think it's cool that they have taken these steps to keep the birds exhibited and letting people see them while also battling this disease. I have heard from multiple people that uh, this is going to be a lot like COVID and that at least for the next couple of years, HPAI is not going anywhere. It is here. It's going to travel around. It'll, it'll die down a little bit, then it'll get worse. Places will be fine. And then suddenly there will be an outbreak and things will have to go off exhibit again. It's just, it's, it's the new normal. So I don't know how true that is, but that is what I have been told. And uh, it's cool to see one zoo taking positive steps towards uh, working with it when it does show up. Zoo Boise in Boise, Idaho, has partnered with El Salvador's Ministry of the Environment and Natural Resources to set up the first spider monkey sanctuary in the country. Staff members from Zoo Boise traveled to El Salvador to teach training methods on how to properly and ethically care for monkeys rescued from the illegal pet trade. 
one of the cool stories from this experience is an immediate training win. As as you know from listening to the pod, um, training wins oftentimes take a while and, and, you know, there's slow and steady growth and all that jazz. But in this case, one of the male spider monkeys that the Zoo Boise team met was named Poncho, and he would not allow anyone near him without being physically restrained. Uh, He had been rescued with a rope tied around his neck, and local zookeepers didn't believe anyone could get close enough to even remove the rope. However, the team from Zoo Boise presented a new positive reinforcement training technique that succeeded overnight. The animal no longer screamed or shook the fence when approached, and basically had a complete change of heart just because of overnight positive reinforcement training. Congratulations to the Zoo Boise team for this incredible story. Y'all, I have a favorite tiger, and you've never heard me talk about this because it's from a facility that has not been on the podcast yet, and um, it's not one of the tigers I've even had the chance to meet. Uh, No, it is a tiger. It is an Amor tiger. Um, which is also known as the Siberian tiger, named Nikita at Smithsonian's National Zoo in Washington, D.C. Nikita, a few years ago, was partnered up with Metis, which is a male, and they were hoping for breeding success. And the two get along pretty well, but um, seems like it might be a platonic friendship at best. As such, the National Zoo has decided to attempt artificial insemination on Nikita. Now, this is a heck of a procedure, y'all. So first, they had to get a sperm sample from the male tiger and then test it to make sure that it was viable. Once it was confirmed that it was, Nikita was anesthetized. It took nine people to carry her from her enclosure onto a padded cart where she was taken down the hallway to where veterinary staff waited with the equipment. They were able to insert the sperm into Nikita, and this is extra tricky because tigers are induced ovulators, which means that ovulation happens during natural breeding by stimulation from the male. So it's not like a timed out thing like in humans. In this case, the team at the zoo used hormone treatment to make sure that Nikita would ovulate at the right time. So they got Nikita ovulating, they shoved the sperm in, and uh, now we'll see what happens. Obviously, they don't know if it will take or not. Um, While uh, Nikita was under, they also uh, did a routine health checkup on her, and she got her needed vaccines. So, um, yeah, the reversal went well. She came out of anesthesia because that's always a risk in these situations. And uh, she seems to be doing fine. So now we just wait and find out if we get any tiglets anytime soon. I'm not going to lie. When I first saw the story and I saw that it was Nikita, I got like a little freaked out, even knowing that the procedure had happened and everything is fine because, uh, you know, anesthesia is always risky. And um, that's my girl. I love Nikita. I'm actually looking forward to seeing Nikita very soon. So, uh, yeah, I I hope this takes because um, tiglets are cute and Nikitlets would be extra cute. Oh, and like also, you know, important for the survival of their species and stuff like that. 
the San Diego Zoo recently announced that um, there has been a new male golden token born at the zoo. This is only the third time that a golden token has been born in the Western Hemisphere, and all three of those births have taken place at the San Diego Zoo. Golden tokens are absolutely beautiful, and you need to check out this toklet if you can. And Zoo Montana recently announced the birth of two Wolverine kits. I needed to let you know that baby Wolverines are called kits before I start calling them wolflets. That's confusing. I guess it'd be wolflet and then a, a baby wolf would be a wolflet. So slight difference. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm such a dork. But yeah, so this is really, really exciting. Um, these are the first wolverines born at Zoo Montana. And, and wolverines are one of those species that there just isn't a huge population in captivity in North America. So every birth really, really matters. Also, if you haven't had the chance to see a wolverine just like loping around, it's really adorable. I highly recommend you check it out. And then you already know that um, the Toledo Zoo has two polar bear cubs, pullets, polar bearlets, you can decide. Uh, but now it is time to help the zoo name their polar bears. Until midnight on March 12th, you can go and vote for the name of the twin cubs. Every $1 donated is a vote for a given pair of names, and voting can be done more than once. You can go to ToledoZoo.org slash polar-bear-cub-vote, or, and I think this is pretty cute, Text CUBS to 419-900-8966 and subscribe to their interactive messaging stream for more CUB updates. The pairs of names available for the CUBS are Kalik and Kalu, Kinyi and Kitna, Merek and Musida, Phipps and Vasa, or Quest and Quartz. And right now, the winner is Kalik and Kalu, though there is still a lot of time left to vote. The Wilds, the safari park of the Columbus Zoo, has announced that they are going to be hosting a conservation science symposium at Muskingum University in Concord, Ohio, on Saturday, March 25th. This is an opportunity for scientists, conservationists, and students with a passion for biodiversity to connect, meet each other, and attend presentations on landscape ecology, wildlife ecology, and animal health. There will be oral and poster presentations, and lunch and light refreshments will be provided. The cost is $20 for students and $25 for non-students, and registration online is required by March 24th, though it may sell out before that. So if that's something that you are interested in, go ahead and check out thewilds.columbuszoo.org. Newport Aquarium, which is right across the river from Cincinnati uh, in Kentucky, um, has announced the opening of their brand new exhibit known as Hatchling Harbor. 
This is a 25-foot-long habitat filled with hundreds of colorful and curious animals and is based on um, a area of the Caribbean that lies between the shore and the reef where young fish find food, shelter, and safety among the flowing seagrasses and waving sea fans. The exhibit includes parrotfish, puffers, lobsters, crabs, and so much more. So now is a great time to go and visit Newport Aquarium. A zoo known as the Exotic Feline Breeding Compound, the Feline Conservation Center, or the Cat House, uh, that could be found at wildcatzoo.org, has unfortunately had to close its doors. However, one of the most interesting things about this is that they listed where every single one of their animals was going. And it's great. There are some going to Brevard Zoo, Tiger Haven, Orange County Zoo, Memphis Zoo, Tanganyika Zoo, Lions, Tigers, and Bears, our friends out in California, Oklahoma City Zoo, Memphis Zoo, Folsom Zoo. I could go. It's a huge list. But the point is that these are all awesome animals going to awesome facilities, and they were completely transparent about where they are all going, which just Ah, it makes me so happy. Oh, I love that so much. I think that anytime any zoo closes, they should have this kind of transparency. So while it's sad to see a zoo disappear, it is nice to see this amazing transparency that you can check out at wildcatzoo.org. The Texas State Aquarium held the grand opening of the new Port of Corpus Christi Center for Wildlife Rescue recently. This is a state-of-the-art 26,000-square-foot facility that is the largest rescue center in the state and one of the largest in the country. It is officially open for rescue operations and animal rehabilitation, and it also will give people the opportunity to visit and see exactly what is being done to save these animals. The focus is on treating and rehabilitating Texas wildlife, including shorebirds, raptors, marine mammals, and sea turtles. Uh, the place looks incredible. The veterinary equipment is absolutely state-of-the-art. There is an interpretive gallery to help people understand what they're seeing. Um, and there is the only CAT scan used specifically for wildlife in the state of Texas. So congratulations to everyone at Texas State Aquarium. This facility was part of the original dream when the aquarium was founded back in 1990. And now it is a reality, and I just love that. And last but not least in zoo news this week, the ZAA, or the Zoological Association of America, the accrediting body that accredits such zoos as Wildlife World and Southwick's Zoo, has announced that Dr. Kelly George is the new executive director of the ZAA. She has over 30 years of experience in business, management, education, and conservation, and was most recently an associate professor in the Department of Animal Sciences at The Ohio State University and co-director of the Center for Human-Animal Interactions Research and Education. Congratulations to Dr. George. Conservation! Conservation! News time! Oh yeah!
So we all know that I absolutely love Red Panda Network. And uh, the interesting thing about them is they're doing amazing conservation work, but in a fairly limited range. Um, So when the work began uh, back in 2007, they were focused on three districts in eastern Nepal, uh, Panchthar, Ilam, and Tapeljung, which they call PIT and the PIT Corridor. They've worked to establish a protected forest there and um, have done all kinds of great work. And they have since expanded into seven districts in western Nepal back in 2018. And I'm going to save you all uh, making me listen to trying to read those names to you. So, yeah, so seven districts in western Nepal and three in eastern Nepal. This year, Red Panda Network is adding three additional districts in eastern Nepal. This means that the organization will be saving red pandas in 13 of Nepal's 25 range districts. This is really exciting. And um, I absolutely love the fact that they center in on small areas and slow growth. Because the idea of trying to save the whole red panda population or even just the whole Nepalese red panda population is a lot. And what we have seen from the work that they are doing is that we can save red pandas if we really focus in on the people and the plants, as well as the animals, obviously, in a small area. So by focusing on the areas they have, Red Panda Network has seen great success, but the fact that they feel confident expanding into three more areas is just really exciting because you know they're going to find success there as well. So this is a great time to become a Red Panda Guardian and uh, start giving monthly to Red Panda Network. Or if you're not able to do that, maybe you can go and make a one-time donation to help them really kickstart this new um, three district expansion because it's going to be really exciting and it's just going to be you know a great opportunity to save more red pandas so uh, help if you can redpandanetwork.org for the last decade a disease has been affecting sea stars which some of you may call starfish but they are sea stars um to literally melt into goo uh that's Probably not the scientific term, but I'm going with it. Um, This has been an outbreak that has hit sea stars from southern Alaska all the way down to Baja, California in Mexico. And uh, the disease is affecting over a dozen species of sea stars. Um, It is really bad. Sometimes it even happens to get into aquarium populations. No one is sure where the outbreak came from, and scientists have not yet been able to agree on what exactly is causing it. Uh, They don't even know if it's a virus, bacteria, environmental change, or something that they, you know, don't expect at all. Uh, This has been referred to as sea star wasting syndrome, and it is not only something that can cause a bunch of species of sea stars to go extinct, but can also have major effects on climate change. The loss of sea stars uh, will upend ecosystems that are homes to hundreds of other species that are crucial for keeping CO2 out of the atmosphere. 
In particular, without sea stars eating them, sea urchins are running unchecked and devouring huge kelp jungles that store carbon. So, yeah, this is a really big problem. In fact, scientists say that it is the largest known outbreak of any disease among marine animals to date. Uh, It has literally killed billions of individual sea stars. The good news is that scientists now think they may have found a novel treatment for the disease, whatever it may be. Unfortunately, at this time, the novel treatment that seems to be working is a disinfecting iodine bath followed by reattachment to its original location and then being given a vial of probiotic solution to restore beneficial bacteria that will help keep the infection away. This obviously can work in um, captivity and especially in, you know, controlled hospital environments where they are testing the stuff out right now. But it seems really, really hard to go give a bunch of baths and then probiotics to uh, sea stars in the wild. Uh, and then on top of that, there's the, the question of um, what's causing this, which we still don't know. So um, there's some really good news here, but it's also just a really, really scary story and, and one that, frankly, I'm amazed um, I haven't heard of un- until reading about it this week and, and that I'm guessing most of you haven't heard of. It's a, it's a big deal, but uh, I guess this kind of thing just doesn't make the news anymore, except for zoo news. And finally this week in conservation news, the members of the United Nations have agreed on an international treaty to protect biodiversity in international waters. So most of the time when you hear about ocean regulations, you're hearing about specific bits of the oceans that are owned by the countries that border them. It turns out that nearly two-thirds of the ocean is considered international water, and because of that fact, there are no regulations in these areas, nothing about how to fish or overfishing or where to drill and all that kind of stuff. This is the first time that the international community has come together to try to regulate and control some of the activities happening in that area. Will it work? Meh. I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. There are a lot of people who say that the problem with the U.N. is that, you know, there's no U.N. police force. So what are you going to do if you catch somebody breaking the treaty? However, for now, this is good news. It means that the member states of the U.N. are aware of the problems facing the ocean and are hopefully going to take this seriously and uh, take some steps to preserve the biodiversity in the two-thirds of the oceans that are not covered by national policies. It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, now, right now, right now, it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the Parker Other News. On... Sunday, March 26th, in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, there is going to be an exotic pet surrender event hosted by J&R Aquatic Animal Rescue. 
Uh, they say, do you have an exotic pet that you are no longer able to care for? Accepting the surrender of exotic pets, including fish, plants, corals, inverts, small mammals, birds, and reptiles. And why am I telling you that? Do I have a particularly large number of people listening in Madison, Wisconsin? No. But I'm telling you that because the news this week has been full of weird human pet stories. It's not okay. So I know that I mentioned in Zoo News, the uh, serval that is currently at the Cincinnati Zoo, that they're not quite sure where it came from, but that may be an example of the illegal pet trade. Well, it turns out that that serval is not the only exotic animal pet making the headlines this week. There was recently an exotic pet uh, surrender event in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and 30 people attended. Included in the surrenders were a boa constrictor, an iguana, two hedgehogs, and a couple of sharks. Now, I need to start off by saying that, you know, sometimes people make bad or illegal pet choices. And I am so grateful that these surrenders exist and that people are surrendering the animals that they can't take care of. But also, like, let's stop it with the exotic pets, please, right? Especially because they put a burden on the people trying to take care of them. Fortunately, a um, African pygmy hedgehog that was surrendered recently has gotten a permanent home at Henry Villas Zoo in Madison. So that's pretty exciting for that hedgehog. But like, you know, you can't always count on zoos being able to take in these animals. And because of how the hedgehog was raised, it's going to be an ambassador animal. It would not do well not having human contact. So this one worked out well, but there's another headline about another just kind of weird pet that had to be surrendered this week. Another one was a seven-foot alligator that Texas wildlife officials discovered in a woman's backyard where she had been keeping it as a pet. Actually, this story is kind of crazy. Um, 20 years ago, the owner of the alligator was volunteering at the Animal World and Snake Farm Zoo in Texas, and she stole an alligator egg hatched it, and has raised it as her own pet for the last two decades. You just can't make this stuff up, y'all. Amusingly, Animal World and Snake Farm still exists and has agreed to home the gator. So the, the gator is just going back home. Uh, apparently, it is a very friendly gator that that thrives on human contact. So we'll we'll see how all of that goes. But um, I'm grateful that yet again there's another zoo stepping in to take an animal that should have never been taken from it. And while we're on the subject of uh, exotic pets, this is not quite that, but it's a great little story to wrap it up. A woman in San Manuel, Arizona went home, looked at the dog bed where her dog is normally lounging, and saw a bobcat. Now, don't worry. This isn't a horror story. The dog was fine. I uh, just wasn't in its bed because the bobcat was and was quite comfortably lounging there. 
the owner of the house was able to call the Arizona Game and Fish Department, who said to not handle it herself. And they went and uh, they were trying to capture the bobcat, but it escaped before the officer arrived at the house. Uh, No one was harmed. Everything was fine. And they believe the bobcat just entered through an unlocked doggy door and then took over the doggy bed. So this was not an example of a exotic pet situation, but uh, seemed like a funny way to end this segment anyway. All right. So it is March, which is Dolphin Awareness Month and also my birth month. Uh, Today, when this podcast drops, is March 10th, which is the last day of National Aardvark Week. And then on the 14th, it's Learn About Butterflies Day and Save a Spider Day. And the 16th is National Panda Day. I like pandas. I don't know if you know that about me. And those are your animal holidays for the week. All right. So there you have it, folks. Another week of Raw Safari Zoo News is done. I'd like to remind y'all that I have a Patreon and you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month by going to patreon.com slash rossafari. I'd also like to say thank you to my Red Panda level patrons, Laura Shank and Kristen Dickey, and to everyone who contributed to this week's episode, including Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Kevin Williams, Kristen Khalil, Dylan Hoy, Liz Dunlevy, and Emily Rockbuck. Y'all rock. Fuck. Anyway, uh, remember the phrase newsy credits backwards is Steiderkuswen. The Ross Safari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.